How do we start this? Uh, I don't know. How do people normally start this? I don't know. Welcome to my podcast. Okay, well, let's try that. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you should redo this or? <laughs> no, I think it's good. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. We are super happy to be back. And thank you all. And we we say this every single episode, but thank you all for your patience while we try and figure out our scheduling. Right now, we are sticking to a bi-weekly podcast, but stay tuned for more updates. As far as we go, how, how are you doing this week, Taylor? Anything new to report? I'm doing well. Kyle and I got the planter boxes all filled up with soil and we're getting ready to plant our vegetation garden. You know, all the tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchinis you can ask for this summer. My favorite are the green beans, but I'll take everything. Wow, that's actually very wholesome. And uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting you to say that. So yeah, look at you running the whole little grocery store over there. So proud, so proud. It's like a whole adult thing. It's probably all Kyle's influencing, just so you know, <laughs> because before him, my thumb was black and now it's like a little bit green. Not much. That's definitely true. I remember like when we, well, not when we first met, but you've given me several plants and like, I, I mean, what I mean plants, I mean like cactuses, cacti. <laughs> which anyone most people can keep alive but taylor is like please take these i just killed them <laughs> so yes i have many of your reject plants which are doing great by the way thank you for asking <laughs> oh thank you for taking care of my children i did give you an orchid one time though that that one needed you that's true that one died <laughs> ironically <laughs> Apparently, I I am actually very good at growing things, but the one important plant you gave me just fucking hit the sack. I'm not going to lie. Could not keep that alive to save my life. Well, you know, you win some and you lose some. That's true. I just wish I had lost one of the like thousands of cactuses you'd given me, not the orchid, but each to their own. Okay, so as much as Taylor and I would, well, probably not do great at a gardening podcast, that is not why you're here. And if it is, you definitely are in the wrong place. But our guest today, we have on a very special guest, which I say every week, but it's, I fuck it, it's because we have really cool guests. I can't help it. It's the same spiel. I try and come up with something original. I'm like, no, this person is really cool. I, I, uh. Anyway, this is Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. <laughs> Hi. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what makes you so special? <laughs> I'm Kimberly. I'm the owner behind Outbound Canine Co., and I specialize in custom biothane gear for adventurous dogs. My own guy is the inspiration behind my brand. And we kind of came up with it from our own adventures, mainly hiking up glaciers and everything, mountains, off-roading, being in the backcountry, needing gear that I can depend on. And especially with having a big and very strong, capable dog, I needed gear that I can depend on very much so um because he's also reactive tried out the whole bungee leashes and the shock absorbing leashes and that's actually what that was my final that was my final like okay i need to make something for ourselves so yeah that's kind of how i came to be and kind of like us in a little bit of a nutshell i'm sorry you said a whole load of interesting things including something about glaciers i used to always think glaciers were like 
you had to go to like Antarctica or somewhere cold and you see the glaciers. That's actually not on all the glaciers that we have in BC. So anybody that's been to like Glacier National Park, you don't totally see them from the side of the road. But Tucker and I did one of the most amazing hikes that we've been on. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it was actually a hike to get to the hike to get to the glacier. And when I got there, it's basically, I don't even know how to describe what a glacier is. Like once you're there, you're just so awestruck. But it's basically go all the way up and you're scrambling up a mountain. And it's like, it's like cut into pieces. It's jagged. It's rocky. It's like at any given point, it can actually like at some points, rocks can come down on you if you kind of step on the wrong section and stuff. But yeah, so there's lots up like Jasper. Like when you're going from Banff up to Jasper, there's a lot of glaciers up there. But yeah, Glacier National Park is where we like to hike when it comes to glaciers. That sounds kind of risky, kind of scary. And also Tucker is a very big boy. So I'm just picturing him walking along these little tiny trails, trying not to step on the wrong rock and just... Also trying not to stumble upon probably a grizzly or a black bear or some sort of form of bear. Actually, I do remember when I was a little kid, we would drive from BC to Saskatchewan. And I remember one time we pulled over on the side of the highway and my dad was like, fill up your water bottles. It's glacier water. And I remember it being so cold, like freezing cold water. And I remember my dad just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And... That's pretty much the only glacier story I have. So, you know, one up for you, Flo, or up on you, Flo. Sorry, Canadians. I don't have any glacier stories. Although I have it like a, it's not a glacier story. It's not even my story. But I have a, I live in the Okanagan and it gets pretty cold in the in the winter. This is not a glacier story. I'm really, like, really, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's, we have like, I guess a lot of cliffs, like, and in the winter time there's a lot of ice on them and we have people and it's like the side of the road and like along the highways and and everywhere and people climb them and i like they look like mini glaciers at least like for me and i'm like wow that, and the people come in and it's like they have all of this gear and they have they really set off and it's like the side of the road and it's like why is this so casual like if i'd moved here first i would have been like god damn it canadians like of course you do this but now i'm like you do this? <laughs> so anyway, so it is really cool that you do all of these cool adventures. I have to ask, could you tell me a little bit more about Tucker? He's a big boy. Like, where did you get him? What's your story? What, like, tell me, t- tell us everything. <laughs> so Tucker was actually, I don't even know how to begin with her, with her little story. Um, I will say though, in the very beginning, when I went to the shelter, Uh, He wasn't actually in his kennel at the shelter. All they had was a picture and they had like a little headline above the picture. And it said, I pity the fool who does not fall in love with this face. And it had a picture of him with like his big pit bull smile that takes up his whole face. And, and so I ended up actually at the shelter that day because of my mom. And if it had not been for my mom, actually, I probably would not be with Tucker today. So basically I wanted a dog. My, Mom has two boxers, and so I have a lot of experience with boxers. I know how stubborn they can be. And so I'm like, well, it's a little bit of a challenge. And uh, 
So I actually had an adoption pending for a female fawn boxer. And long story short, they didn't think I was the right owner for her. So when I finally got the call, I was actually driving in my truck with my mom. And finally, they're like, you know what, not too sure. Like, and they kept going back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to end the suffering. And like, I'm just going to withdraw my application. If you don't think I'm 100% a right owner for this dog, I don't want to put this dog in a situation where I may be uneducated, or maybe you know something that I don't know. And so got off the phone. My mom's like, well, we're really close to LAPS, which is the Langley Animal Protection Society, just in Langley, BC here. And and I was like, yeah, I guess we can kind of go check it out. And I asked to see the dogs and there really actually was no dogs in the shelter, which was a good thing. And the one dog that they really did have was Tucker. And he in the shelter was actually named Mr. T. And so my mom is actually the one that asked to see Tucker. And so I'm just standing there with my mom like, you you want to see this dog? And she's like, yeah, I want I want to meet this dog. And And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm thinking she's asking for herself. I'm not thinking she's asking because she wants to see this dog for me. And so she brings this dog out and he comes barreling around the corner. I'm like, holy shit, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. And um, so the adoption coordinator comes up to us with Mr. T and she's like, okay. She's like, so which one of you asked to see Mr. T? And I'm just standing there and I'm like, uh, my mom wants to see him. She's like, no, I want to see him for my daughter. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, you asked to see him for me. And she's like, yep, yeah, my daughter wants to adopt him. I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. So we go into the adoption room and he had no manners. He had no training and he was jumping on everybody. He was jumping on me. My mom was jumping on the counters and everything. I was like, oh my God. Okay. He's a big boy. He's got no manners. He's got no training. And basically I put in an adoption for him. There was no connection. There was no, oh my goodness, he looked at me this way. Oh my God, he gave me his paw. Oh my God, his heart is just calling to my heart. There was no instant connection that a lot of people need when they adopt a dog. And a lot of people are very emotional when they adopt a dog. Whereas I'm less emotional when I make big decisions and I'm more realistic. And so... I just thought to myself, I can give a dog a really good home. And that's kind of how Tucker came into my life was I, I submitted my application and I came back every couple of days and uh, walked him. We did a little bit of training sessions to try and work on the connection, but it never really happened. And he just really just did not give a shit about me. And he ignored me basically. And it wasn't until I brought him home, which I was surprised about because I was like, oh my God, these people are actually letting me adopt this dog and this dog doesn't give a shit about me. Like, so they must have seen something that I did not, or maybe they were just hoping that like they could see the goodness of this dog that they saw. But then I, you know, like I couldn't really see too much about this dog because like I said, he was focused on the adoption coordinator and everybody else but me. And I came from having zero dog experience and I brought him home. And a few weeks later, then he was cuddling with me on the couch. And then that's when our journey pretty much started from there. 
Okay, the fact that you're saying that Tucker was not trained and the Tucker that you have now, holy smokes, like you've put so much time and effort into Tucker because to me, I feel like he's always been the most perfectly trained boy that just like listens and is respectful towards you, engaged with you, like the Tucker I met did not give two flying fucks about any of the dogs around him. And I wanted him to care about the dogs around him. And he was just like, nope, mom, I'm the bestest boy in the whole entire world. And I'd do anything that you want. So just the fact that he didn't care about you and what I see or seen recently blows my mind. But when I also brought Tucker home, he was probably 70 pounds. So he was actually underweight and he wasn't as big as what he is now. But now, I I mean, he's even bigger of a dog than what, you know, when he came home. So, I mean, I'll take that. That's a really big compliment because because when people do give me compliments and they say like, oh, my God, he he focuses on you. People notice that he kind of looks to me for direction. He very much loves praise. He's a kind of dog where he would he likes praise from me just as much as treats and so yeah so thank you very much for the compliment and i and it's cool that you've actually seen him in person so you kind of have seen kind of how he is yeah he is one big boy so to imagine him at 70 pounds is pretty insane to me because he is he is quite a large dude he's like big chested big headed pity mix and he is so sweet he's a you said he's a pity but he's over 70 i mean how much does he weigh now tucker yeah so when he was in the shelter it was about 70 pounds he was very neglected very underfed and so now he's actually at a healthy weight of i think he's about 95 pounds now but the funny thing is though is so he was he's typically before i moved out here to mission where i am now he actually always sat at around 105, 110, and he looked very healthy. He's very muscular. He doesn't have much fat on his body because he's always been active. But when I moved to Mission here about six, seven months ago, we have so much off-leash freedom out here. I'm near State Lake, and so that's always been one of our very safe places. I can have him safely off-leash. There's nobody around us. And so since actually moving out to Mission, he went from 100 and about 10 pounds to, I weighed him, I brought him into Sam at Country Meadow um, Vet, and I was curious. So he came in one day, he's like, I'm actually kind of, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's lost about five pounds. And so Sam puts him on the scale and she's like, he's like 93 pounds. And I'm like, are you, are you shitting me, right? Like he, my dog's lost like 15 pounds just from being active, not just like every couple of days or on the weekends. Like he's now active every single day and he's hiking. So he actually is like less body fat and he's more muscular now, actually. That is so cool. That's, it's, it's crazy to me because yeah, whiskey is 90 pounds and he's big as well, but yeah, like 95. Yeah. Like that's, that's crazy. That's so cool. I mean, obviously you'll have to send us a photo for our Instagram of, of Mr. Tucker. (laughs) Um, So how long ago did you adopt him? Cause he, was he younger then or like, how old is he now? How long have you had him? Do they know the age? So I adopted Tucker from laps. He was already six years old. 
he was actually considered a senior. And I knew going into having a dog that I probably wasn't going to have the patience for a puppy. And so I didn't want to put myself in that situation where, you know, here I am, I work 16 hours a day. The last thing I want is to get a puppy. And then it comes up with all these bad habits and everything. So I definitely wasn't expecting I would get a senior dog. But he was very young at heart. I can tell that. But yeah, so basically when I got from shelter, he's already six years old. And then I've had him now. He just celebrated his 11th birthday last month. So I've had him for, for about five years now. But he is still going strong. He... Funny though, you can see him when he starts like running back and I, my other friends and they recall their dogs and then their dogs start running back. Like they're there like three seconds. And then Tucker, my friends are like, oh, I don't think Tucker heard you. He's like, no, he heard me. He's just, he's slow. And then you see him and he's just like limping over like really slow. It's like, no, he's coming. Don't worry about him. Oh, <laughs> Tucker always trying so hard. Um, So you have mentioned previously that Tucker is a big boy and you've tried out all of this other gear, the shock, bungee leashes, that sort of thing. And you really, really needed something stronger, more reliable, maybe diverse. So it really pushed you into biothane and outbound and starting outbound. Were you just like, oh, biothane's really expensive. I'm just going to start making my own. And then all of a sudden your friends were like, um, we're dog people too. We want that stuff too. Or like, how did you start basically? I started outbound. I started more testing things before I actually thought it was going to be a business because it was never in my mind that it was going to be a business. I thought my whole life, I mean, obviously, it would be cool if you were your own boss, if you owned your own business, but that was never really something in my mind. And for two years, a couple years ago, um, for two solid years, Tucker and I traveled all over BC. And we've always been avid hikers. I'm, I was a lot more in shape a couple years ago because I've been eating pasta every night for the last three months. So there goes my hiking body. But I, uh, yeah, so we basically were avid hikers and we would travel to Banff, to Jasper, over to the island. We would go Kamloops. We visited kind of everywhere where they had the good trails. We would overland or we would stay in like a nice condo afterwards because I'm like, you know what? We've hiked like 30 kilometers today. I kind of just want to come home, have a bubble bath. Because at the time I had a stand-up shower. So it was a necessity for me that I had a bathtub wherever I stayed. And it was when I was on the trails, did I really realize and I started to feel insecure of my handling skills because I was buying these expensive bungee shock absorbing leashes because they're perfect for hiking but not when you have a 110 pound aggressive dog so the issues that I was coming up with were I'd be on a hiking trail and yes I'm in the back country but you never are ever really truly alone and so even when we were going to Banff and I would do the hiking trails out there they were less populated ones but there would still be the odd person, the odd dog on the trail. 
And so when I would come across people and other dogs, I would grab a hold of the leash and it would keep going. I'd grab a hold of it and keep going. And I, I felt like I had zero control of my aggressive dog. And that made me feel like a very insecure, uneducated handler. And so when I came home from all my travels, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. And it's like, it's not for the fact that it's not strong. It's not like it has nothing to do with that. Like it's a cool product, but it's not meant for my dog and it's not meant for me. So I had basically gone online, just started researching biothane and I didn't really know anything much about it. And so I just basically ordered a couple colors. I ordered some hardware. I ordered some different kind of with biothane. And I simply just started it just for Tucker. So it was never supposed to be a business. I just needed something that when my aggressive dog is pulling towards a grizzly bear, a black bear, a cougar, wolves, other dogs, other people on the trails, I can't have a leash that keeps expanding on itself. And then I just felt so stressed. And I'm like, well, I'm, I, can't, I traveled all this way to not feel stressed. So that's basically where the idea behind my gear came from. And especially that's where the idea for my hands-free leash actually was born. Wow, that is really cool. That I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is super inspirational. I love when people start their own businesses and I always love hearing the story behind it. And as someone who's been self-employed now for almost six years, I think it's always really neat to find out where people started and what inspired them. So do you do your business now full-time? That's what you. That's what your, uh, your Shazam is. <laughs> I do outbound 24-7. I'm a little bit of a workaholic. And it very much doesn't help that it doesn't feel like a job to me. Even when I have a lot of orders, like right now I have a big sale going on. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need to be prepared. I need to get orders out the door. Because my first anniversary sale, I had no idea that many people liked me or knew about me. And I was so unprepared for all the orders. And it took me months to actually get everything out the door. So this time I'm like, I am prepared. I'm getting orders done and everything. But yeah, it, it helps when you have, when your job is born out of a passion, it never feels like a job to you. Even when you have a lot on the go, I have orders that need to get out the door. I have customers I need to get back to. It doesn't ever feel like, oh, oh my God, okay, I can't, oh, okay, I can't do that. I still have to, oh, I have to cancel plans now. I have to work. Like I'm semi-happy to cancel plans if I have to work, but it wouldn't be the same if I actually went to a nine to five job. Then I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can call in sick. Like I, you know, but I do outbound full time. And I also got a job quite a few months ago now at Rough Dog Sports and they are literally right up the street from me. So I do that also part-time. That's so cool. I mean, I can definitely, I definitely relate to you about like, well, A, being a workaholic <laughs> and and B, yeah, it is definitely difficult, especially when you like it because it's a good thing and a bad thing because it's a good thing because yeah, you like it and that's rare for, you know, a working professional as an adult to like your job, I find. Uh, most people just do the grind and then wait for the weekend. So, so yeah, to like 
the week is is a good thing but it's also a bad thing because then you're like well the week has to end but you have to force it to end and then you're like well okay and you're always kind of planning ahead you know what's what's the next thing that you can be doing and how can I have this day more productive and I should get up earlier to do just a little bit more and stay up later just to do a little bit more and then when you stop you're like your, your brain is still coming up with ideas and still kind of going and still like oh what can I do better tomorrow I should be doing that now and there's that always that you know how there's like mom guilt I feel like there's like business owner guilt where it's just like if you choose to do something other than your business there's that like pretty big part of you that's like ooh, but I I could be doing this and getting further ahead and ooh, especially because you know you have clients and stuff like that like oh I'm letting people down even though it's all completely made up in your head because you've done over 40 hours a week so I can definitely I definitely know where you're coming from with that (laughs) mom guilt business owner guilt I got dog mom guilt I'll be like I've exercised all of the dogs they've been out on place and I'm like how can I still do more for these dogs in my house right now it's insane so you've mentioned a little bit you kind of gave a little tiny little tidbit little sneak peek um, of some of the products that you sell do you want to go over some of the products that are maybe best sellers what you how you created them how you found them you said something about a no hands leash uh, just kind of give us a little uh, give us a little bio on your on your uh, on your favorite products and what what uh, outbind canine is all about oh but also tell us your least favorites as well because i want to know that as well I don't really have a least favorite product, but I will tell you I have a least favorite color, and that is white, because it causes me anxiety. Although it really shouldn't, because even with the white bio thing, you can actually use a magic eraser, and it kind of, it honestly gets everything off of the white. I experimented with it actually a few months ago, because I had... A customer who got a white biothane collar, like pure white, not an accent, like a pure white collar and a leash. I believe it was probably for a wedding. And I'm like making it and I'm like, oh, okay, I hope she doesn't take this on the trails. Like, or I hope that she knows how to properly, like, she can use an all purpose spray on it. She can like put it in the dish thing, like, you know. So white is my least favorite color, even though you can completely get it all clean and use a magic eraser, that still gives me anxiety because I don't think I would, I mean, I've never put white on my dog and probably won't. My best selling collar are martingale collars. Buckle collars are very much an everyday staple though. So those are very popular as well. But because I kind of have some feet in like the dog training world not I'm not a professional I just really really enjoy training my own dog I like giving some advice to my friends if I see something because I have some friends where they'll be doing something and I'm like oh maybe don't do that like maybe maybe don't do that and my friends are like oh my god do I do that and I'm like yeah you do like okay thank you you know because it's always easier when you look at somebody you're like oh yeah I know what to do And then when you're in that situation, you're too close. You're emotionally involved in your dog and you can't see or you're doing the wrong thing. And so because I advertise how I train my dog and everything, and I'm very open and I'm honest on my business account, which sometimes my family originally, when I started to do that, my family was like, I don't think you should do that because then you're going to get people that judge you. You're going to get people that maybe you lose out on sales and everything, which I have. I've lost out on sales because I sell slip collars. I sell martingale collars. And it 
used wrong, it can choke your dog. Absolutely. And I've talked myself out of, I don't know how many sales because people will reach out saying, my dog is an extreme puller. I really want him to stop pulling. What kind of color should I choose for a sip collar? And I'm like, that is going to make the situation worse. And so I talk myself out of a lot of sales, actually. But yeah, so my martingale collars, because it can be a really good training tool. And those are some really, really my, besides from my buckle collars, those are my number one selling collars are martingale collars. And then when it comes to our leashes, my a very original eight foot hands-free leash and my 15 foot specialty long line were the actually the two products that kind of made Outbound come to be. And those products have a lot of thought process behind them. They had a lot of testing when it comes to how far I want my dog in front of me, how not, I don't want my dog close, but I want my dog to have some freedom about doing enough hardware on the leash, but yet not too much hardware where it either weighs the leash down or it has so many things on it where people are like, well, I don't really want to use this for this. And then it weighs down the leash and I don't need that. So my hands-free leashes, when it comes to my, like, say my 15 foot specialty long line, it's completely hands-free. It's basically the exact same as my eight foot and my six foot hands-free, but it's just a long line. And so how that was born was because we went to a, we traveled to a lot of parks, national parks, provincial parks, and your dog is absolutely has to be on leash. There are grizzlies in the area. There are cougars. There are wolves. There is wildlife. And even though my dog has a very good recall, when it comes to wildlife, it's less of a 50 50. It's more like a hundred percent chance that my dog is going to think that's a challenge and he's going to get protective. And so this is exactly why there are laws in parks like this, because some people can just be a little bit entitled and think that their dog is better than all the rest. Sorry to say that, but not sorry. And so the 15 foot was a really good length for me. So when I put it around my waist, if I have a winter coat, if I have just a t-shirt on during the summer, it's kind of about two feet around my waist. And then my dog is only about 12 to 13 feet in front of me. So Say I'm coming around a corner, somebody else is coming towards me. My dog is not 20, 30 feet in front of me. And now I'm like panicking. My dog is still close enough in front of me, but yet he has the freedom that if I need to take a step back, I have my body weight behind me and I can just kind of give him a couple tugs and he'll come. So the lengths, especially when it comes to my eight foot hands-free multifunctional leashes, I like my dog. When it comes to areas that there are a lot of blind corners, there are there could potentially be other people. Like if there's already a parking lot, even if there's two other vehicles in the parking lot, I'm not putting my dog on a long line. I'm going to put him on one of my eight foot multis and then he can still have six feet in front of me. And my dog likes to actually stay in that like up to six feet in front of me. I came up with the eight foot because of my own boy. And that's kind of like the length that he likes to be in front of me. And I don't want my dog so far in front of me, but then I don't want a leash where it's heavy, it's too long in front of me. And then, like I said, people panic. And then when it comes to leash pressure, the more you panic, the more you bunch the leash up in your hand. Now your dog is sensing that. So the added feature that I 
wanted by default on my hands-free leashes was a traffic handle. And so to me, it is very important because I do train my dog an awful lot was the last thing I'd want to do is bunch up the leash in my hand. So I added a traffic handle. It's two placements, you know, two feet when you do the smaller width for small, medium dogs. For larger dog like Tucker, it's right where you clip to your dog. So you would be able to put your hand through the traffic handle and your dog would be right by your side, not in front of you, not like your dog is beside you. And I keep my dog there for when passing or if you have a reactive dog like mine, I don't want my dog on a four foot leash in front of me and then I'm having to bunch it up. And then he's reacting, he's lunging, he's barking. And so there's a lot that went into the thought process when it came to designing my hands-free leashes. Everything was designed around my own boy. So even if you have a smaller or medium dog, you still have the strength behind you because you never know when your dog gets frightened with something and it wants to bolt and you don't know. So yeah, so when it comes to being hands-free, it's not just as simple as, oh, I can have my Starbucks in one hand and I can have my phone in the other hand. It's also when you're training and say, like you don't catch something, say there's something behind you. There's a dog that runs up behind you. You don't see it and you don't have your hands on the leash. You have at least your body weight behind you. So an eight foot is still a really good length where if your dog is six feet in front of you, he's not going to like all of a sudden, like he's going to not going to whip you across the field. So for me, all my hands-free leashes were very much meticulously thought out. They were tested with different lengths. And when it came down to it, my eight foot hands-free multifunctional leash is my absolute best selling leash because I put a lot into it. I've tested it with my own dog. And then I also had a shepherd before when I had Tucker. So I had a very friendly, but very, I would say over friendly. And she was actually rude and she wasn't properly taught at a young age to not go up to other dogs. And she would rush other dogs and she was a rude dog. I'll say that. And then I had an aggressive dog. So I had the best of both worlds. I had an aggressive dog and then I had a dog that would react because it was frustrated. So I had honestly the best two dogs in the world to test all my stuff with. First of all, kudos to you for denying certain people a sale. Not a lot of people would be good enough, I want to say, to deny a sale for a dog that pulls and they want to buy a slip collar or a martingale. So good for you for doing that. And it shows that you really care about the dogs and you care about, you know, your reputation with the products as well. And I think both of those are important and it's not selfish to to be caring about the products that you're selling because just takes that one lady to be like, this collar choked my dog out, you know? So kudos to you for not only thinking about the dogs, but thinking about your own self as well. Also, I love, love, love how much testing and safety work and thought that went into your eight foot hands-free leash. It sounds like you really, really were like, okay, how can I make this work the best for me? And also for other people who have strong dogs with determination. I love the fact that you mentioned something that doesn't weigh down. Already being a dog mom and you're out and hiking, you've got your backpack on, you've got your dog's water bowl, you've got treats, you've got 
X, Y, Z, you brought the kitchen sink. You don't want a heavy ass leash as well. So I love the fact that your leashes are light, which is nice. What made you like go for biothane instead of something like leather or maybe an alternative like I don't think nylon's very strong, but I'm gonna throw it out there. What was the added bonus that biothane had that these other potential products didn't? So when I started researching biothane and once I got into my own hands and I started using it, Tucker is very much he's very much like his mother. If he sees a puddle I have to drive through it. I have to splash my whole truck in a puddle. If Tucker sees a puddle, he's got to go swimming in it. Same with mud. And so especially, you know, we live in Vancouver, we live on the island and everything, you got salt water. And I made an uneducated decision to put Tucker's leather collar into the ocean. And then he went into like a mud puddle and everything. And so just not me knowing and I ordered this really beautiful color from Italy like hand stitched everything it was beautiful and within a month it had stretched out and it was completely ruined and I'm like how did this happen when it comes to why I chose biothane it's because it is very much made for adventure you can soak it in a mud pile all day long and it still won't absorb any odors. It will not crack on you. It will not dry out. And so for us, with all of our travels and Tucker's off leash a lot of the time, so it's not like I would never tell my dog like, oh no, you don't want to ruin your collar. Like, don't go in the water, Tucker. Like, that's just, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna be like, yes, you go have fun, go in the water, go in the mud. Yes, like, I will just wash you after. So I very quickly realized that biothane was just super easy to maintain. And for somebody, even owning a business, I am very bad at keeping my gear clean. I'm notorious of not cleaning it. And then that's how I realized that the magic eraser works because I had some stains and I'm like, oh my God, like I could remake it. But so I did the magic eraser and I was like, no shit, holy shit balls, it works. So biothane was basically, it's basically adventure proof. And I think that that's why everybody really loves it. And I have actually a couple ambassadors on my team right now that they had applied and they're like, we don't really know much about biothane. We don't know what this material is. We don't know anything about it, but we really like kind of like what you're behind, like what you're all about and everything. And that you advertise reactive dogs. You will post a dog in a prong collar. You will post a dog that has a new collar strap on and you happily do this. So they applied more because they liked me. And then when they got their first collar and leashes and everything, and they're like, oh my God, this is why everybody's obsessed with bio things. So leather is very much like you, it's a show collar. You cannot, unless you want to moisturize it every night, if you want to really look after it and you have the time for that, then it's a beautiful collar to have leather. And then I think when it comes to nylon, there's a couple of companies that I actually like, I think they use nylon, but they do... They have like a coating on top of their nylon and it's like a canvas collar. I've actually really been wanting to try some of those out, not because I want to make them, but just because I want to support my other women in business. I don't know anything really about like nylon collars or like canvas collars and stuff. Some people I think don't use the, like the coating. And then I think some companies do use the coating. So I have heard good in both things, but 
when it comes to biothane, you can honestly kind of like do no wrong with biothane. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I, well, my, my, with Risky, I actually, I have leather collars for him because he's not, he's like, he is a prince. <laughs> he, he avoids puddles. He is clean. Give him like a gentle, like I'll give him like a, a light apple cider vinegar bath, like a couple times a year. And I rub him down with coconut oil and like he gets a spa treatment, but he is not dirty. He is infamously clean all the time. So I had beaded collars, I had fabric collars, I had crocheted collars, and I just had them for years and it was stunning. And then yeah, and then shells came along and shit on all of that. So um, <laughs> that's when I found Biothane because she, I went from the Fresh Prince to the Swamp Donkey herself and Taylor can attest to this having hiked Shelby multiple times. <laughs> and I was like, well, and I, I, cause I, when I got her, I was like, okay, like I'm gonna buy a nice collar fucking idiot i bought a really nice like crocheted collar to match whiskeys and i was like oh it's cute they have a cute little matching pair nope lasted like a few months i had to like i was dedicated to it so it (laughs) broke (laughs) like and i stitched back together because i was like no (laughs) because i didn't know what else to do i didn't i didn't know what product to buy i didn't know what to do and i was like well this is the collars that i use like i have to make this work i have to make this work so yeah that poor i i think i still have it somewhere as like a memento (laughs) but uh yeah it's like got my like really bad stitching on it it's like crumpled it's the wrong size it isn't even straight it's it's terrible so that's how i found biothane <laughs> and yeah i got shelves mulches i mean i'm a little extra so i have so many collars i mean i'm probably talking to the the right <laughs> the right ladies with that <laughs> but yeah all of the collars even the ones i bought for shelby originally like way back you know three four years ago they are all still fine. I am really glad to know about the whiteout tip though. Like that is a really good tip. Like that is definitely something I'll be using because yeah, I also don't keep my shit clean. <laughs> Taylor Taylor does. Taylor stuff sorts like looks like it's in the store. Or at least it used to be. I don't know if she's kept up with those with those good habits. She's shaking her head. So welcome to the land of the normal people, Taylor. <laughs> I do want to comment also a little bit about those ambassadors that you said joined your team that they didn't know about Biothane. They wanted to work with you because of the message that you put out on online. And that is such a, it must be such a good compliment for you for one thing. And just honestly, praise to that. Like, I absolutely love that. That is really, really amazing. So good for you. Because obviously you're doing something right. (laughs) Very quickly when I actually started my business, I did my research. I looked at other dog collar and leashes companies and everything, not biothane, but just kind of like in general. And I wanted to see what kind of message they were putting out or if it was simply just, hey, buy my collars, buy my leashes. And I would see what kind of photos they were posting. Not once did I come across a business that happily or just in general posted a picture of a dog in a muzzle. And... I remember the very first post I did and it was like, it's a 50, 50. I'm probably going to lose followers, probably going to lose sales, but I also needed to stay true to myself. And I was like, well, I don't, my business is not just about selling collars and leashes. Like to me, I want to provide that safe space where I didn't have that with Tucker. When I was training Tucker, I would post on Facebook groups. Hey, anybody in the neighborhood want to come for a walk with me and my aggressive dog? But don't worry, I have them under control. And there was never any takers. Oh, I wonder why. And so 
I never had that judgment free space where I can walk with a friend and work through my dog's issues. So because I have a dog aggressive dog, well, actually for quite a while, I was actually really scared to leave my house because I had no confidence in my handling. I was doubting myself as an owner. I'm like, he is a big dog. And I had no idea actually he was an an aggressive dog when I adopted him because actually he was heavily medicated in the shelter. He did not do well in the shelter. And then I was told through no fault of their own because you don't know how a dog is in the shelter. Most dogs are just terrified. So what they told me was he's reactive towards dogs that are bigger than him. And me coming from being a dog person, which I will admit today because I'm no longer that person. I would let my mom's dog off leash who has zero recall. And I would be that person where it's like, oh, don't worry about my dog. And yet she would harass other people because she thought it was a game. So I had my phase. Yeah, I had that phase. So thank God I'm not there anymore. But when, but so when I got Tucker, I had no idea about his issues. I didn't know behavioral issues or anything like that. And I wanted to wean him off of his medication because I'm like, He's fine. This dog is fine. He's not on, he doesn't need to be on medication anymore. It wasn't until I weaned him completely off of both of his anxiety medications did I see his true aggressive nature. And it was quite a while of me being really doubting myself. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? I didn't consider myself to be this strong. I wasn't strong. I wasn't, I wasn't a disciplinary. I wasn't authoritative. And Basically, when I started my business, I felt like I would have been hiding who I truly was if I didn't post what my dog was going through because I don't have a perfect dog. And at the time, he was even less perfect. And I wanted this business right off the bat. I knew in my heart that I wanted it to be more than just, hey, buy a collar from me, buy a leash from me. Hey, I sell this, I sell that. And so I remember the the first time that I posted Tucker and his muzzle and I lost followers and people, not as much, but I did get people that reached out saying, you know, I wouldn't be posting you have an aggressive dog. Like that doesn't look good for your business or anything. And I'm like, mm, you're probably right. It, it probably doesn't. But people don't know behind the scenes. Like, yes, I was doubting myself. And yes, I was insecure in my handling. And yes, I had zero idea what I was doing with my dog, but I was at that point on the right track. I found the right trainer and I was going to stay true to myself. And then I had even more people reaching out to me saying, oh my goodness, like my dog has the same issues or yeah, I feel challenged with my dog and I don't know if I got the right dog. And so I got so many people actually reach out to me saying, I've never seen a business post a dog in a muzzle. And so from then it kind of gave me the confidence to then I started to do like training Tuesdays where I would make a post on a Tuesday sporadically here and there. And I would say, this is your sounding board. We are all here to hear you out. Post if you've been struggling, make a comment or tell me if you've had a training win. And I would pick random, like I would just randomly like number generator, pick a few people to win like a $10 gift card. So it kind of, would like kind of snowball until the point where now I post actually quite a few pictures of Tucker and his muzzle. I post Sam and Porter. I post Porter and his muzzle. I post some of my other friends like Huri and Hero and, and his muzzle. 
So I really do like doing like Muzzle Monday posts and everything. And then from there, I learned to do structured walks. So that's something that I've always done with Tucker. But like I said, I really had no takers in the beginning. And it wasn't until last December did I just have a brain fart one day. And I think to myself, like, I'm running out of people to train my dog with because my dog knows all these people now. And he knows his dogs. And now he's good with these dogs. Where can I find new people? And so I just took a chance and I kind of <laughs> posted it up. I'm like, hey, he wants to come for a walk with me and Tucker. And I'm like, and some people may think it's boring because you have to keep your dog on a leash and you have to keep a little bit of distance. And we probably may be talking to each other, but I can't hear you because you're all the way back there. <laughs> but I posted it. I had about 50 people initially reach out like, hey, yeah, okay. I, I'd love to go for a walk with you. And I'm like, okay, Awesome. So after setting up all these individual walks, I'm like, oh my God, I have no time to myself anymore. Like, that's when I started to do all the structured pack walks. And then it grew into doing pack hikes, which are a little bit like if your dog won't do well in a pack walk, it probably won't do well in a pack hike. But that's kind of the gist of me wanting to stay true to myself and not advertising only smiling, happy, friendly, go lucky dogs. I wanted to be relatable. I wanted to put my issues out there because I know I'm by far not the only person. And I think in this day and age of dogs, more people have a reactive dog and that in a dog that wants another dog to respect their space more than just a friendly kind of dog, because I'm sorry, I'm going to say an unpopular opinion, but most friendly dogs are actually rude dogs. If your dog is friendly, but yet it is rushing up to us, even as a human, if your dog is rushing into my space and I don't want it into my space, that's rude and that's actually disrespectful. I know it's an unpopular opinion. People are probably not going to like me for that. But I once had a friendly rude dog, so I can I can say from experience. But yeah, so that's when I started to do pack walks and everything because I saw the momentum of me posting pictures of Tucker and his muzzle about me doing training Tuesdays in which I have to do that again. Actually, I keep forgetting to post that. But yeah, so it kind of all grew into each other. And then now doing all the pack walks and everything, it grew from like three people wanting to be a part of it to now, like every single walk I have, I have a wait list for. And I happily do it for free. I don't charge anybody. I'm not a trainer. I'm not guiding you. I'm not giving you advice. If you ask for my advice, like I can only say from my own experience what happened with my dog, what did not work for my dog, what did work for my dog, like my dog needs structure. Same as his mom. I do well with structure too. Okay. First of all, picturing you being the, oh no, it's okay. My dog's friendly. Absolutely not. Because when you were taking photos at my training sessions, when I went to Vancouver, you ripped this lady a whole new asshole and then another one for having an off-leash dog. And it was hilarious. But also I was like, damn, Kimberly's a little scary. Like, oh, don't want to be the one with the friendly doodle around her. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but I love that now you can admit it. So that's good. Love the fact that you are so true and so open and honest about who you are, the struggles that you have found, and the fact that you lost followers for putting a muzzle on Tucker and posting a photo. I'm sorry, but Tucker is the whole reason why Outbound is here and why you make the Biothane products you do. So without Tucker and without sharing your story, there would be no fucking eight foot 
long lead with the traffic handle attached. There would be no martingales. There would be no community that you have created today with your pack hikes and all of that stuff. So screw the people who hate the muzzles and just keep on going because you're doing something fucking right and we all applaud you for it. So congratulations. We love it. I do love that you do pack hikes though. Can you tell me more about that? I know you say you have a wait list, but like you don't have to tell us where you go, but tell us like what it's like, what kind of people you've come across and what kind of dogs you've come across, anything that you've noticed improve with Tucker, improve with other owners. Give me the whole everything. So I started to do the pack walks in January now, like very beginning of January, end of December. So it's actually been like almost six months, which I was surprised about because I was going through my like my pack walk list of just because I always keep track of what day where I'm going, who's signing up and everything. Because with my memory, I'm not gonna remember. I remember your dog's name, but I will not remember you as a human being though. And so it's been about six months. And I can hold heartily, honestly, truly say every single walk has been amazing. There has been zero issues. And by zero issues, I mean, like, doesn't mean like dogs don't react to each other. In the beginning, in the first five minutes, when a dog sees another dog, they're like, shit, there's another dog, I gotta react. Or we have excitable dogs that come. And then they're happy because it's like, I have 10 new friends. But I'm like, "Mm, actually, you don't. So the pack walk started off, you know, there's me and maybe like two, three people. And at first, I kept the group's very like very minimal like no more than like four or five because I'm also doing these for my own dog but I know that my dog can do these because I put in the training so I also am not going to put my dog in a position like if I think my dog is going to be uncomfortable I'm happily going to tell people like okay you know what you mind if I sign you up for the next walk because like it's getting a little bit much here and I very much look at the group of people I get the people to reach out and sign a consent form, but it also has a space in there saying, and I ask, what does your dog struggle with? What does your dog need? And I take into account everybody that is attending. And there's never somebody that shows up and I was like, oh, I don't know this. I don't know what this dog struggles with. Like, okay, hope nothing happens. Like, I think it's also me being a little bit of like, I have some control issues, but when it comes to my dog and my dog safety... I'm now not not just looking out for my own dog. I'm also looking out for my pack because these are my people. These are my these are my friends and everything. And so I'm looking out for everybody. And so I started off with me being only comfortable walking with two, three other people. And then now there is I allow up to on most times, actually, it went from like, okay, now I would allow six people and their dogs. And I'm like, well, it went really well. And I would up it to eight dogs including myself. And I saw that even those were going really, really well. And I'm sticking at what I'm at now. I'm not allowing any more dogs, but 10 dogs, including me. So me and nine other dogs, that is my absolute limit of what I do for a walk and a hike now. And so there's always a wait list. And um, because there's always people that that reach out saying, you know, like, hey, like I I overbooked or it's like, okay, you know, it's not going to work out or some people have car troubles. So I'll kind of like, you know, reach out to other people. But I'm also very strict in these pack walks. There should be no close calls. Like we've had like our last pack walk. Tucker was walking next to my friend and her dog and they've been on one walk together. 
but they were walking happily right next to each other. And they're like right next to each other walking and we're in the back of the pack. And so then Tucker just kind of like, oh, hi there. I just want to boop noses with you. And then my friend just, and we're both like really reactive, like, no, and we separated the dogs right away. And then my friend is like, oh my God, our dogs are react because of us. Like, and I'm like, cause it was so overdramatic when all of it, like our dogs didn't do anything. Tucker was like, okay, hi. All he did was like, kind of look towards her. And then we like, okay, you know, we can't have something happen. So that was actually kind of funny, but, but yet our dogs like didn't give a shit and they went back to walking right next to each other. But yeah, so I'm very, very strict. Like I only really walked really that tight next to my friend because I know her. I trust her without a shadow of a doubt. She's also a professional dog trainer. So she's also not going to put myself, her dog and herself into a situation. But just by default, I have three rules that are like no exceptions. Your dog is to stand on a leash no longer than six feet. Even if the leash is wrapped around you, I mean, a lot of the people end up buying a hands-free leash because they see us like, hands-free life and, you know, and we can like talk with our hands and then we don't have to hold a leash. And everyone's like, oh, I'm jealous. I need one of those. Like, you know, even if your leash is wrapped around your waist, your dog is still only six feet in front of you. So no leash is longer than six feet. There's also absolutely under no circumstances, no nose-to-nose meetings. There's no leash meetings, nothing like that. A lot of my friends like to sign up and I will say that Sam was on here. And so Sam and Porter are actually one of my good friends. And she is somebody that I actually reach out to because if I notice that in a group that I have, say, you know, say at the moment I have four people signed up, two of those dogs are overexcited dogs. Two of those dogs are dog aggressive dogs. And then Tucker's gone to the point where he kind of has like a no fucks given attitude but he's also a fun police. So if he kind of sees like another dog acting out and you don't calm down the next little bit, like he's going to tell you like, mm, dude, shut up. So Sam and Porter are one of the people that I reach out to like, okay, we need to level out the group. So we need to put some calm energy into the group. And so I very much structure the group where depending on who signs up, I'll reach out to Sam and Porter. I'll also reach out to my friend Kiri and Hero. And so Hero is also like, he, he's excitable but he's calm. He's not vocal around other dogs or anything. So I do have some friends that I can call upon if like, I need some calm energy in the group, which I think kind of adds to like the success of I don't just randomly let anybody sign up. And then I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a chaotic group. Like not one of our walks has been chaotic. And anybody that's an outsider that is walking towards us either with a dog or just human beings, We've gone comments before. We're like, oh, oh my gosh, there's so many dogs. What's happening? We're like, oh, our dogs are just in training. Everyone's like, in training for what? Like, because our dogs are just all so well behaved. Like, you would never know that like, oh yeah, uh, three of these dogs in this group want to kill each other. Then the other ones are so excitable. Like, you wouldn't know it because in the group, this is a calm environment. This is not like if there's chaos, you reposition people then that person will maybe go to the back of the group. You get as much space as needed. And then you can come towards the group and close the gap if your dog allows for it. Like these people that are coming, they have a good foundation training. They've either reached out and has already talking to a dog trainer and they're wanting to see and they're maybe ready to be in a pack. But I started putting these on because I wish I had this with Tucker and I didn't. I never had people that I can ask or like a group that I can reach out for. 
because even when there was a group, it's like, well, I don't want to be in a group of 20 dogs. Like my dog is not there yet. My dog is maybe only good around three other dogs. So there's a lot of thought that also goes into the pack walks and how I structure the group and doing the rules. And then another rule that I very much like I end, like when I go over all the other rules and everything, the one thing that I ended on is this is a public space. We are going to come across other people. We may come across other dogs, but you also very much in the pack, you learn how to advocate for your dog. That is a given. You are going to do it a thousand times in your life. If you own a reactive dog, or even if you're just an owner where you're like, no, I don't appreciate like my dog. There's nothing wrong with my dog. My dog's friendly, but I also don't want other people coming to our space. So you also very much learn how to advocate for your dog within the pack. I've had to do it on numerous occasions. Well, I wouldn't say numerous, but like like a good couple handfuls of times, I either had to just say it once, like, hey, you know what? Our dogs are in training and everything. And people, some people are just like, yeah, okay, we'll pull over to the side here. And I'm like, thank you. There's still people like this in the world. And then there's sometimes where you come around the corner and there are a group of dogs that rush us. And so I tell people where... You don't have to yell out, hey, we have aggressive dogs and we have dogs that want to kill your dogs. Like, don't let us near. You don't have to freak people out. And then that gives us a bad look. All I say is I yell ahead saying, hey, our dogs are in training. We need our space. Taylor and I both do pack walks as well. And like, it's just been such a, it's such a good way to kind of connect with the community. And the fact that you've started this all from Tucker and you and your adventures and your gear and how it all connects and how it's all just one big, just, you've been, it's just, it's, it's so inspirational because you've been such a good advocate. And I think that someone providing multiple outlets to, to have the support and to have that communication and to have that encouragement and to kind of feel like you're a part of something rather than an outsider is really, really incredible. So I absolutely just, I love everything about that. So congratulations. You really, it's, you've really created something special. It's, it's quite, it's, I'm, I have like, obviously don't have words, <laughs> but it is really, really incredible. So uh, yeah, I can just gush and gush and gush. I am curious though, like, you said you have a wait list like a that's amazing and i like that you do keep it to that small number but does that mean you have regulars like you have packs already self-determined by the number by the people who are signing up or is it easy to get in if you haven't been to one i'm just thinking because i know we definitely have listeners in mission obviously i'd love to promote your walks do you have groups that go together and always go together or do you mix it in or do you have like a tryout <laughs> pack kind where you're like well you know see how you do and and tell us a little bit about that i definitely have quite a few regulars who really like to come. Like I said, I have some friends that really like to join Sam and Porter. They come quite frequently or I'll message her the night before. And I'm like, you need to come for the walk. Like you need to cancel your plans. And you need to come because this group is like, we need more neutrality in this group, if that's the right word. And, and so she typically will like always make it work. So there's a wait list in the sense that I don't pick and choose who comes in the group. I don't I don't prioritize this person over this person. The only time I will do that is if based off your attendance, if you have continuously canceled last minute, even if once, if you cancel last minute, you're like, oh, you know, I got too much to do. It's like, that doesn't work here. We are a group of dedicated dog owners and training to us is not, uh, okay, if I have time. 
like you make time to train your dog. That is a priority, especially on your weekends if you work all week. So I definitely do, though, take into account your attendance, your past attendance, if you have canceled last minute based off nothing. Or if you forget because you're like, oh, sorry, I totally forgot I slept in. Mm, That's not going to work with me. We are dedicated and I don't like my time being wasted. My time is valuable and there's always work to be done. So I don't like my time also being wasted because that spot could have gone to somebody else who really wanted that spot. And I'm not going to be able to text somebody in 30 minutes saying, hey, somebody's not going to come. Do you want to come in 30 minutes? That's not going to happen. So I just don't like the pack's time being wasted. And then we are standing there waiting for people to show up. So I've also gone to the habit where if you're more than five minutes late, we start the walk. We do not wait for people anymore because we've had our time wasted too many times where we are standing around. The dogs get anxious. The dogs are now stir crazy in the cars. So yes, I've kind of come to the point where I guess I can be a little bit more strict in the sense that like, we're not waiting around and you have to account for traffic. You have to account like, you know, people saying, oh, I didn't know it was this far. It's like, well, Google told you it was this far. So, but when it comes to the signups and everything, I actually quit it for a little bit ago, maybe like a month and a half ago, I actually made a webpage on my website. So people can go there has all the information, it has the consent form to sign up for it has all the rules, it has, it expands a little bit as to how I came up with the pack walks, who the pack walks are good for what are things that you could potentially learn. Um, Not based off me teaching them. It's just simply like your dog could very much learn how to be neutral around other dogs, because your dog is learning to be calm around a group of maybe six, eight, 10 dogs. So there are definitely things, a lot of things that can be learned, very like vital everyday things that you can learn from being within the pack. So yeah, so I have it all on my website, actually, which I'm actually like really happy that I just decided that one night to put it on my website rather than reiterating it to everybody that would reach out. I mean, because if I'm at the grocery store, I've done it before where I'm at the grocery store, like, oh, I'm not too sure my dog's like really overexcited. And I'm like, and I'm like, um, yeah, okay, I'll get 400 grams of pastrami. Okay, yes, this group is really good for you. Uh, yeah, and then can I get three? Yes, okay, this group could be good for you. So I just put it all on my website. So if anybody that wants to like reach out or learn more, you can definitely go to the website. But if you want to still talk to me, absolutely, you can still message me. But the group is not just for reactive dogs and dog aggressive dogs. There are dogs in there that are human reactive as well. And since we're already keeping space from each other, I'm not just going to come into your space. So it's also really good for human reactive dogs. We also have like a lot of like excitable dogs. And a few of my friends that come with their excitable dogs, like everybody that comes that has told me like 100% of people, actually, I'm going to stand behind this. 100% of people that reach out to me saying, I'm really nervous. I've never been in a pack before. I don't know if my dog is going to do well. Or people that reach out saying, like, I, I, I'm nervous. Like, I, I just, my dog's never been in a situation where it's like, I don't know how my dog is going to do. And I'm like, I don't push you because I'm not going to push a certain, like, if you're not confident in your handling, you come to the group and something happens, not going to let that happen. But the people that I'm like, you can come try it out. This is not like, okay, once you come, you have to come again. Like, if you're, if you show up and you feel your dog's really struggling, and you don't feel like this is the right space for you then you know that. But 
I do have like quite a few regulars that really like to continuously come because when you have a random dog, consistency is key. You cannot just train every now and then or do like once a month or whenever. Consistency is key. And so I have some people, I have some regulars for my hikes. I like to come for the hikes. I have lots of regulars for the walks, but it's basically, like I said, I don't prioritize people over other people. It's simply, if you reach out, it's kind of first come, first serve. And then that's how I end up with a wait list is people like, oh my God, I forgot you posted. Oh, I forgot. I was like, well, I can put you on the wait list, but like it's already full. And I'm not going to put the group beyond the 10 dogs because uh, 10 dogs is like, it's still my absolute limit because I'm also looking out for my own dog. Is he going to do okay? Because I'm not going to put my dog in a situation where it's going to be uncomfortable because then that means I'm not going to put other people's dogs in that situation. So there is typically like a little bit of a wait list, especially June 14th. I actually have Andrea from the Good Mutt. She's going to be doing some photography for the pack walk because I'd like to do some professional shots for the website, for social media, everything, for advertising. And she has actually come with one of her own dogs. So she's gotten to experience what it's like and she was actually also very nervous and I'm like I don't think you need to be nervous I think your dog is going to do just fine and so I think she was pleasantly surprised so she kind of has first-hand knowledge of kind of like what it's about and everything so she's going to be bringing her own dog her boyfriend is going to be looking after her own dog and then she's going to be doing some photography here and there so yeah that one actually filled up very quick so I have like 10 people on a wait list for that night but I'm like I also didn't want to advertise that there was a photographer coming because I don't want people to sign up for the wrong reasons and then you're focused on the camera or you want a good shot of you and your dog and then you're you're missing cues from your dog so just to circle back don't mess with Kimberly because she does not like her time wasted and she's a boss ass bitch that'll kick your ass we love it though because usually and I'm getting better but I am very much a I'll do anything for you kind of business person like you want to pick up your dog at 10 30 at night when I'm supposed to be sleeping sure you can do that absolutely so it's just pretty cool definitely have a couple footsteps to follow in with you so kudos to you for having those boundaries set also love the fact that you have a freaking wait list. The next time that I am in mission, or if I ever go to mission, I'm coming with Atlas. I don't care if you're at 10 people. (laughs) I'm gonna sneak onto the trails. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna like air tag Tucker or something and just find you. (laughs) Flo is like dying laughing. I am obsessed with how structured this this what the way your brain works Kimberly works very well for me. I 100% what you get where you're coming from. I understand it. I'm like, yes, praise there need to be more people like this because I I very much um quite similar. I also have steps to go as far as the not being a people pleaser thing goes. But I really admire all of the things that you've done to just make this like a fucking just overall boss ass everything inclusive advocating supportive community that's so so amazing i do have to ask though you've talked a bit about the different gear that you've posted online about muzzles and posting about pinch collars and all of these kind of things what gear do you use for tucker what do you take on the walks what do you yeah what do you use and why (laughs) it would be the sum up question i guess (laughs) for tucker he is muzzle trained he's prong collar trained 
He is now a month and a half in. I can actually very much 100% say he is now e-collar trained. And it's been a little bit of a rocky road with the e-collar. Not because I used it and then I did it wrong. I bought it about a year and a half ago. I was going to go traveling with an ex-boyfriend of mine. And we had Tucker and then we had my foster dog, Callie, at the time. And at that time, Tucker's like reactivity in the truck was just at an all-time high. And I'm like, I don't want to go through the Banff town city. We're going to get sushi. And then Tucker's losing his ever-lever mind. And I bought it. And it showed up the day before we left for Banff. And I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I'm going to make a mistake. If, if I bring it with me, and I've never put it on my dog before, I'm going to make a mistake. And I'm going to have to do so much training after I make a mistake. And then Tucker... Tucker's a very resilient dog there's never been anything i've thrown at him that he has been fearful of or that he hasn't trusted me with but i ended up leaving the e-collar at home and yes and of course we went in for sushi and tucker would just he's just barking at everything he's barking at a grandma with a stroller and then like you're gonna give her a heart attack what are you doing and then he's barking at these people and then these people look at him wrong and he's like don't look at me and so when i originally bought the e-collar i knew for a fact i'm like i feel like i'm gonna do it wrong and so i left it i left it i put it into storage never used it I ended up selling it before I moved out to Mission. When I started at Rough Dog Sports, my boss, she is like a world champion dog sport trainer. She trials her dogs. She has titles. She's won first in the worlds with, you know, dog sports and everything. So she's very like, knows her shit. That's like, she knows her shit. And... She works with predominantly, like, she works with Shepherds. She works with Belgian Malinois. And those dogs are all e-collar trained, prong collar trained. Like, these dogs use tools. These dogs have a mind where it does not stop and you cannot cut through their mind. Like, so they use tools. And so my boss is actually the one that, when I approached her about it, I said, thinking about e-collar training to her. And she's like, okay, why do you want to e-collar train him? And so I kind of went through a little bit with her and she's like, okay. She's like, more power to you. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's a right call for you. And so I ended up buying it through my work and I got right to work. And my boss gave me some very, very good advice. And she said, this is how I train my clients. Doesn't matter how well your dog is trained. If your dog already has a great recall, if your dog already does this really well, like I train my clients the exact same way for the exact like length of period that I do with anybody else. And so she's like, your dog should never be confused of what this, about the vibration of what the stim means. Your dog should not ever be confused. Your dog should not ever be scared. And your dog should not ever be yelping or like have anxiety because you're doing, you know, you're clicking it at your dog. So she told me some very good advice. And I basically went with that. And I paired Tucker's e-collar with every command he already knows. And this is not me like, and it's funny, I was explaining to my friend today, because she was actually asking about it. She's like, gosh, should I do it? And I was like, "Mm, you got to be careful, though. 
Because if you're, you know, and I'm trying to explain to her the way like my boss explained it to me. And I'm like, I paired it for about three weeks to a month. I paired it with like, even if I was walking up the street here and then there was be a property dog. The one thing I did not do is I did not pair it with like the leave it command when it came to other dogs because he gets so into a red zone still that if I were to pair it too soon with a leave it and he doesn't leave it, it's now doesn't make like, oh, okay, then there's nothing. This doesn't mean anything. So I took the advice of my boss. I did exactly what she said. And it very much like I can let Tucker off leash now. I can click it. He comes back in seconds. Whereas ever since we out to mission and he got too much off leash freedom, he started to blow recalls. And then we had less structure and I saw him not really wanting to heal much anymore or stay close to me. He was very much like he would be kind of going in front of me and all of a sudden get a scent in the forest and he'd bolt into the forest and then nothing, no calling, no nothing would ever bring him back. So even though I know my dog's going to come back and we're in the middle of nowhere, like I didn't panic, but I'm like, no, this doesn't work for me. My dog needs to come when he's called. He doesn't get to pick and choose when he comes back to me. So now... I see him like that and, and I'll test it out every now and then still and he'll catch him to a scent. Pack's come. He boom seconds. I'm like, oh my elderly dog is now coming back to me in seconds. Like but the whole reason why I wanted to do e-collar training was because I wanted to do all this work before I actually do it in the sense of like why I wanted to do that with him. And so when we're out for a walk and there's an approaching dog, it is still very much a trigger for my guy. Eye to eye contact. Nope, not going to happen. He will tell you he does not like that. He still gets that red zone, but yet I've at least been able to get him to the point where he can be in a pack of 10 dogs and be so neutral. And now he's helping other reactive dogs because You don't pair another chaotic dog with a reactive dog. You don't put two chaotic dogs together or a dog that has anxiety with a chaotic dog. A calm, neutral dog that even if that dog reacts to that dog, that dog needs to not pay that dog any attention. And so I don't know what I did right, but all these years of training now has gone Tucker to the point where he's like, yeah, okay, I see you barking at me. I don't like it, but like, okay, I get it. You're right there beside me. So... I've gotten him to the point where he can be in a pack of 10 dogs, but still when I'm on a trail and there is a dog that's approaching, that is still like, nope, nope for Tucker. So I wanted to do the e-collar so that I can try and like get him out of that red zone because I can put a steak that's been marinated and grilled in front of his face and he won't give a shit about it. And me talking to him won't. He doesn't care about what I'm saying to him. So that's actually the whole reason why I wanted to do e-collar training with him was not for necessarily off-leash recall or for obedience because he's very an obedient dog to begin with. But it's simply just so I can kind of try and snap him out of that. And I don't need my dog to like, okay, Tucker, I know there's a dog and you're losing it, but like, you got to heal. You got to do this. Like, I simply just want my dog to try and get out of that zone. And even if I give us a little bit of space, he can at least kind of be there with me and be present with me. But yeah, so we're basically trained with pretty much all the tools. 
Nice. We love that Tucker is fully tool trained. We love a fully tool trained dog, of course. Penny behind me is also three for three, muzzle, e collar, and prong collar because she is my spicy, silent queen. I do want to ask why, you know, you're doing outbound 24 7 and then now you're doing rough dog sports. Is dog sports something that you are super interested in? Is it something that you would like to do in the future with potentially your next dog? Or is it just something that you can learn and educate more for yourself? Because Flo and I are obviously sponges, but like we like to learn everything we possibly can. So I would definitely take a job at dog sport gear or rough dog sports just so I could learn. So dive in a little bit about that. Why did you decide to work there? So the whole reason that I actually applied to rough dog was, okay, I'm going to be honest here. And when you own your own business, like I don't have a boyfriend, I don't have I don't have another person here to talk to. I talk to my dog. And when you do your own business, you work from home. You like when I go adventuring, it's just Tucker and I, I do everything solo. And then quite frankly, that's how I enjoy it most. I don't like when a guy comes with me. I'm so like anti, like, no, leave me alone. And I feel like I, I was going through sports where I feel like, oh my God, I'm becoming a hermit. And I wouldn't want to leave the house. I would just work all the time. And I, I would kind of like, oh my God, I'm, I have I not showered in three days? Like, wow. So I would get so into the zone where I felt like I was becoming a hermit. And then when my friends would invite me out, I was noticing that I was like, mm, nope, don't want to go grab a beer. Nope, don't want to go with this. Nope, don't want to go here. And so I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't need a full-time job. Like, outbound, like if I had a full-time job on top of a full-time job, I'm going to go crazy, but I needed something like a little part-time job to like get me out of the house. And like my dog, I really like structure. I like having a little bit of a routine. And in the mornings, I'm not really that creative. I have back issues. So I basically have a heating pad on my back. I'm slow to start my day. And when I get creative with outbound, like it's later in the afternoon into the nighttime. Like I can work till like three in the night doing like orders and stuff like that is when I get creative. But I felt like I was becoming really like a hermit and I was just not wanting to leave the house. Like I would go for a hike with Tucker, but that's to the extent of like, I didn't want to go. I did not go grocery shopping for months on end. I didn't want to go to Walmart. I didn't want to go anywhere. And so I felt like for my own like mental health, like, I'm like, holy crap, like I'm now. So when you work for yourself, you don't really put deadlines on yourself. You work at your own pace, which is good because there is some things that I struggle with when it comes to my business and just jobs in general. Like I've been fired before when I was younger because I have a learning disability. So I'm not always the fastest and I don't always learn the quickest. And it could take me a lot more time to complete a task. And I also need people to also be patient. And like, if I, if I don't understand something that maybe the average person would understand, I need you to repeat yourself in a different manner. Like I need you to explain in a different instant kind of thing. And so I've been fired from jobs before for that. And so with my own business, I kind of noticed like, I'm so in my own head. And I was like, I'm making, I feel like I'm making mistakes. I feel like I'm forgetting a lot of things. Like a customer would reach out and they would change something in their order. And, but if I was out, like at a grocery store, if I was out gassing up 
And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll add that to your order. The second I put my phone away, it gets wiped from my memory. So I was really struggling with like, okay, I don't have any structure. And so I applied for a couple of part-time jobs, whether it be like the BCSPCA, working with animals. And then I also applied for rough dog sports. And I was like, oh my God, this is like up my alley. I do all this kind of stuff for outbound already. And so when I originally applied, she reached out like right away. And she's like, she told me like after she hired me, she's like, I kind of thought like, why is this girl applying? Cause she's, isn't she a competitor of mine? Like she has her own dog business. And I'm like, see, I don't look at it like that. Like we don't really sell the same things at all. She has a very different clientele. Like I have the adventure clientele. I have people that, yes, people are training their dogs something, and I do get some serious dog people, but she has like the whole different clientele. And so she sells like Herm Springer, like Schweiker, all those like really, really like dog sport toys, all that kind of stuff. And so I, the whole reason why I originally applied was just like, I wanted structure and I wanted to know, like, I have a lot of knowledge in the sense that like how to run a small business and all the things that she was asking for was things that I already did for outbound. So it's like, well, there really doesn't even have to do much training to me kind of thing. And and I basically just kind of went right into the job. And when they're like, oh, hey, can you draft this product? We have it sold out. I'm like, yep, okay, I'll go and draft it. And they're like, oh my God, you know how to do that. We don't have to explain it. And I'm like, yeah, I already know how to do all that. So it's been really good for me because it's literally up the street for me. And so we're super close. And I love my coworker. She's my office manager. And like, we shoot the shit and we laugh and like, we are so not ladylike. And I didn't know how much I missed working next to somebody until I started working there. And I'm like, you are my person. And we just laugh all day long. And so there's been a lot of things that like my mental health, I think is a lot better now because I get up in the morning, I leave the house and I'm doing something that's benefiting somebody else. It's benefiting me. And I really love my job there. I may not always be the fastest, but she very much like appreciates all the things that like the creative little things that I come up with. And when it comes to dog sports, I know those people can be not from my mouth, but I've heard the dog sport people, first of all, you're very competitive. And I know that obviously, but I think they get into like their little clicks and then they get really like, they don't, they don't do this to have fun. They do this. They are competing. They want titles. They want the... And that's not me. Like when I do things with my dog, when I do nose work, owner work and everything, like I do because my dog's having a fun time. But when it comes to like, Tucker's not agile. So Tucker's not, Tucker's not doing dog sports anytime soon or his for the rest of his life. But I, when I did have my shepherd though, like my ex and I wanted to raise her very differently. And I can't see myself getting a second dog with Tucker. Tucker deserves to be the only dog in the house. And he deserves my undivided attention. But I do like the idea of like, in the future, having another shepherd and doing dog sports, but like, I wouldn't do it for titles. I wouldn't do it to like, I just simply would like to do it because I see my dog is tracking and it's enjoying and it's an outlet for the dog. So I do like the idea of, of kind of getting like a shepherd in the future again. And just kind of doing like, I really like tracking. I I absolutely love the idea of doing protection. I would definitely pay the money to do the protection workshops and protection training. 
I will tell people, like, if a creepy guy comes up to me on the trails and he's in dog and Tucker's barking, I'm like, yep, he's training protection, but he's not. But I would like to back that up one day. But yeah, so I do like the idea of doing it in the future, but not while Tucker is still here. Because he's, like I said, he, in a world full of judgment, like this house is the only judgment free space for him. So he's he's going to be my only dog. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I, I love that, um, again, applauding that you uh, you know that for Tucker and you, you're keeping that for him. And I, I really, really, really like that. Speaking as someone who does a fair amount of sports. <laughs> and I do, I do, I'm like getting more into doing them competitively. I do disc competitively and I'm getting into doing agility competitively. And okay, I, just, I really shouldn't have started a list because there's definitely more. Um, we just, uh, we've, we've started doing some very intro PSA stuff. So we'll see where that goes. And I've, I've literally tried almost all of them. Like I can't think of one right now that I haven't tried with shelves. <laughs> but it's definitely true what you're saying. There is, it is really difficult. There are cliques, there definitely are. And I think that even speaking as a competitive person, it is really, it's... <laughs> It's hard. And there's some sports that are, mm, I was going to say better, but that's not the word I want. Some sports that are more cliquey than others. Like we had Caitlin on our podcast a few weeks ago and she does competitive confirmation. So she shows her dog, she has Dalmatians. And even she was like, yeah, like I fully admit I am not a nice person. And I tell my friends we are not friends and while we're on the ring and then when we get off, that's fine. Then we can be friends again. And like, so it definitely is a whole new world. And again, I applaud that. I would never be able to say that to someone. I would cry. Um, <laughs> but it definitely, it's its a whole big thing. It's a big competitive um, industry. And yeah, its its it really is, it is quite cliquey. So I mean, I do it for fun. I like to be competitive. I do. But I think if that ever takes away from what it is, I wouldn't really enjoy it anymore. So, and I only really want to do sports that my dogs want to do. I would never not want to do things that they, or want to do things that they didn't. So um, it definitely should come from a place of enjoyment and not from a place of needing to be the best or needing to have titles or any of these things. So I definitely agree with you on that. I do agree with Kimberly. Like I definitely don't like sports as much as you do and a lot of it is that competition. I know it's not really actually a thing, but I feel it when I walk up onto the fields and it's like my dog's better than your dog, even though I know it's not a thing. It's in my mind. And then, you know, there's Atlas and I who are just newy baby beginners in the disc world. And I'm like, fuck, he can't focus on me. He's more interested in the goose poop over there. And then there's dogs like just whipping the frisbees or the discs, sorry. And they're just jumping and moving and all this shit. And I'm like, holy shit, like I cannot do dog sports. Like there's way too much competition. There's way too much XYZ that contemplate my entire life decision the moment I step onto the field. But I think as the more Atlas and I grow in the disc world, I'll come to love it, but probably still not love the competition style part of it. Cause I'm not a competitive person. Like Kyle is so competitive. He'll be like, Oh, I'm carrying the team here, babe. When we're like making a puzzle. And I'm like, okay, we're making a puzzle. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
kudos to you. Oh my god, love Kyle. <laughs> love Kyle, love the Kyles. Kyles in general, everybody get one. <laughs> Would recommend. I totally get what you mean. And I think like I've told you this many times as well, and like it's come up a few times that that used to be exactly how I felt. That's how I got out of confirmation. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was so got onto the field and I was I was so tangled up into um, or into the ring back then was confirmation and I was so tangled up with what everyone's perception was and I was like oh my god I just like I and I'm not enjoying it because I'm all like wound tight and then that goes to the dog and then my dog doesn't behave I mean like Shelby when we first started agility oh my god it was the most embarrassing thing like it was impossible to get her to do anything like she just was so overstimulated and going crazy and then we there were times when she was young I couldn't get her back so I was in a class setting with everyone in their fucking doodles their friendly little you know little fluff butts and I have this Malinois that I like I'm trying my best but I am like I feel like I'm out of my depth and she's just doing we called it victory laps around the field so she'd do one jump or one tunnel and then just be like fuck you I'm gonna do my own thing and like running around and like barking at everybody and I would leave so many classes crying and like same with disc like we started and I was like well no she was a little she wasn't reacting in the same way then but she just wasn't wasn't cluing in we weren't connecting it just it wasn't clicking but I I really sticking with both those sports in particular has given me so much more confidence as a handler and as a trainer and the and it's actually something that I'm proud of because I've stuck with it and I'm a very I really worry especially with Shelby I really worry about being good enough and and having a Malinois and being not a fuck up and the fact that I've stuck with these sports and now play both of them competitively. So the fact that we used to play these sports and struggled so much and I really wanted to, I really wanted to be a good Malinois owner, a good shepherd owner and do these things and, you know, not just take my my dog on a, on a leash walk every day. And we sucked. We literally sucked. And now we disc. We're very competitive. We travel for trials, um, and we we do pretty good. <laughs> and it's just been such a journey for us. And it's I really really recommend sticking with it or trying it, like and just just going with it because it does the wins that you get with your dog through sports and or through any kind of competitive or more advanced training anything where you have to perform in front of another group or in front of people it really pushes you to really not give a fuck about what people think and just work on yourself and like it has been such a change for me because now when I play especially disc because that is the one we're more competitive in is I don't compare myself really to any other team I like to win of course I like to win but every single time I come out like the other day we did um we we play we played um there was a the competition a trial and I played this game and it didn't I was like fuck this game is just not going well we are not jiving we are not jiving. like it was just not going well in my head and I was like this is just the feeling isn't there we aren't connected I came out with first place in that game and it was still wasn't a good game for me whereas I can have a great game and we can really connect and it doesn't really matter where I place and that's something that I definitely didn't used to be like at all but now that's still the main thing that I remember from that game is just like oh I you know I should have like we just weren't it wasn't clicking for me and it wasn't there and we came out with first place so like some people are like well, why the fuck are you complaining and it's like well, I'm not complaining I just I know that that wasn't what I wanted out of that game and the fact that 
that is now that's the thing that I worry about and not whether if we placed or if we you know won or, or lost or whatever that is a really big really big thing for me so I just really advocate it for everybody to just sticking with those things that challenge you and sports is a really good way of doing that because making those leaps and those bounds and seeing those improvements in your dogs and in you and it just has been really core to me so I definitely I I, I definitely am excited for for everybody trying and sticking with it and uh, can advocate for that for sure so so yeah anyway enough about Taylor and I Kimberly, it has been so fun chatting with you. I'm really just so, yeah, just so in awe. And I feel like I've learned so much. And I'm definitely going to be coming out to mission to one of your walks. I'm going to apply, unlike Taylor, and not find you in the woods. <laughs> I'm going to send in an application to do the proper, the proper things. Because, yeah, the, the control freak in me is just, just panicking at Taylor appearing in the woods. <laughs> But yeah, is there anything else that you would like to kind of go over or discuss or anything else that you want our listeners, clients, future clients, people who come on the walks, people who buy the biothane, anything that you want to to leave them with? I was going to ask when you guys are having your next pack walk, because I think Sam and I would like to come over. Uh, I actually have decided to take a pause here in Victoria on our pack walks because I'm just so damn busy, but I think Flo will probably have another one soon, but I do think that we should do another collab at some point. Maybe even you and I, Kimberly, because I think we're a little bit closer than Flo and you. We do like a collab pack hike or something and I could come and help you and then that way I'm not creeping in the bushes with Atlas. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I actually just am finishing my break. I've taken two months off my pack hikes, literally because I have had trials or training or seminars every single weekend for all of April and all of May. So I am planning one for the last weekend of May. I mean, it's a little bit of a drive, but I would love to have you <laughs> if you want to come out all the way to the Okanagan. You are definitely more than welcome. But yeah, it's always up for um, for collab walks as well taylor and i did one last time and it was just it was so fun and we just had such a good time so so yeah definitely but yes you are welcome any and all times <laughs> i remember when you guys had the vancouver one and i remember obviously seeing it because i because i follow along with it and everything and sam had told me about it i was like oh, i not that i have like anxiety taking tucker to places like that I worry about everybody else. And then if I don't know the trail or where we're going, I don't know my exit points. So the places where I pick is because I've done it a thousand times and it is a safe place. It is like there's less off-leash dogs, like less encounters that could be possible. There's exit points. It's a trail, but then there's a forest so I can get into the forest. So like when you're a reactive dog parent, like a walk is like you're you're scouting out the place. Like, okay, exit point. Okay, if the dog comes up here, like, okay, oh no, that's too that's I can't go down there. That's a lake down there. Okay, I'll go up here. So when I started to partake and participate in Ashlyn's pack walks, who she has in down Abbotsford, she runs Canine Mindset Academy. I actually like did not like the first few that she did, I was like, mm, no way, that's in Abbotsford, that's Mill Lake absolutely not you'll never get me down there and so i took a chance and ashlyn was actually i showed up for this one she's like oh my god you actually came i thought that you were gonna cancel on me because i looked i look at the weather schedule and if it's supposed to be a shitty day most people are gonna stick inside so that's that's when i come out to play and train in like a busier environment 
and it was supposed to be a crappy day. And so that's why I signed up. And I woke up that morning and Jesus blessed us with sunshine. So I'm like, well, I'm already committed. I am not canceling. And I went there and Ashton's like, oh my God, you actually showed up. Like, I thought for sure you're going to cancel. I'm like, I'm thinking like, why are you not texting me? You know? And she's like, are you just going to like not come and not tell me? He's like, no, no, no. When I make a commitment, I stick to it. But that's the one thing that like I want to get out of my comfort zone about is like joining other people's pack walks, obedience training, little groups and everything. Because then I can get out of my own comfort zone. But yeah, so I'd really like to come to one of your guys's. And the reason why I didn't come to the one in Vancouver was because I'm like, I don't know how many dogs are coming. I don't know what the other owners are going to be like. I don't know what trail we're going on. I don't know how many, like, is there going to be a park of kids? Is there going to be like, is it popular kind of thing? And so there's too many unknowns, but I should have just like, Sam, you need to just, you need to talk me into stuff. You need to be like, bitch, you got to do this. Like I do that to her. I was like, no, you're going to come for a walk. And she's like, okay, boss. Yeah. Okay. You can, you can count me in. But so next time you guys do a pack walk though, I'd very much like to be a part of it. Aw, poor Sam. Shout out to Sam for being the best girl ever. She's such she's such a sweetheart. I do remember you actually messaging me and being like, Sam told me all about it. And it, she said it did like really well. And she's like, I'm sorry, I have control problems. And I was like, oh, girl, like, don't worry about it. It's all good. As I'm sitting next to Flo and I'm like, I know what control problems look like. <laughs> Okay, kudos. That was pretty funny. I'll give you that. (laughs) So as Flo said, is there anything that you would like to mention or any gear that you would recommend for anybody? Any socials that you would like to drop? Your website, your Instagram, so people can look you up. We'll also add it into our show notes as well so people can find you. But is there any last minute hurrahs? You can find... Any custom biothane gear made for adventure and everything, you can go to my website. It's www.outboundk9co.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Simply just Outbound Canine Co. I am not on TikTok. I am not on Twitter. I don't know how to use that stuff. I have been approached by quite a few customers saying I would do well on TikTok, but I don't think that I would because I don't know what I'm doing. But so Instagram... And Facebook, you'll find me on there, just basic socials. If you do have any questions, though, or if you want something kind of custom made, I do a lot of custom things, whether you want to add stuff onto a leash, I do a lot of that. Yeah, so anybody can pretty much reach out, message me if they have any customizations, or if they have an idea about something they want done, or if you're just kind of confused because I have quite a few options, yeah, just feel free to reach out to me, basically. So thank you so much for coming on the show and being such an advocate for all of our less than normal doggos as well as the normal ones. And we just, we love that. And yeah, you just, you're a really incredible business owner and person and it's been really lovely chatting with you. So thank you so much for coming on. And as Taylor said, we will link all of Kimberly's socials in our show notes. So in case you need to type them out or anything, they're all there for you to look at as well. Taylor, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you would like to go over? I just want to say thank you, Kimberly, for coming on our show and, you know, just showing the world or our 
few listeners how much of a boss ass bitch you really are. You are a wonderful, wonderful businesswoman. It's been such a pleasure to meet you in person and also be able to have this podcast with you. And I just am so happy that I get to put you in my little pocket as a resource. And hopefully other people can now find you who haven't found you before and are able to see the progress that you've been able to accomplish with Tucker and how open you are with reactivity, aggression and everything. And those people can feel just a little bit less alone. So thank you for creating such an awesome platform and having that for everybody else. Thank you guys so much for reaching out and having me on here as well, because I can only speak from my experiences. I don't have any professional training. I don't have any certifications or anything like that. I simply just have gone through things, good and bad. And if I can just let people know that you're not alone and that my DMs are always open, my friends who've gone through this, like they always say the same thing. You may be a total stranger, but if you need an ear or if you need like, hey, if you've gone through this, what have you done? I am always open to discussing, you know, what some of your options are. And and I have a lot of resources as well. Like, you know, like I know you guys that are dog trainers. I know other dog trainers, whether it be you want somebody in a specific location or if you want to try it and come on our pack walks. Everybody's got knowledge that somebody else doesn't have. So I'm always open to pretty much kind of having a conversation and and helping everybody because we all have experiences and we all have knowledge and everybody can get a benefit from, from somebody else's knowledge. What an amazing note to end this episode on. That is definitely the wise words we needed this Monday morning. Okay, everyone, we will see you in two weeks' time. And from Taylor and I, we are the Bad Dog Moms. Kind regards. regards.